Welcome to the LSAT Habits Podcast. I'm your host and instructor, Jimmy D of JDLSAT.com. That's JDLSAT.com. So in each episode, I present key habits uh, you can master to raise your score consistently. Today, though, I'm going to take some questions from a student. Um, By the way, if you have any questions, feel free to uh, contact me again via my website, jdlsat.com. If you have questions, uh, perhaps we can do what I'm doing today and read them on the podcast and answer them. So let me get right to um, Tabatso's questions. Uh, A few questions here, actually, so probably serve us quite well. So how did you review logic games? Was it simply a matter of going back and doing the game again slowly? Let me give you a short answer to that. Um, I recently did a podcast on um, uh, foolproofing. Foolproofing isn't everything, but if you really get your butt kicked on a logic game, then I would encourage you to use the foolproofing method, which I explained in a recent podcast. So definitely check that out. Now, if you didn't get your butt kicked and it's a minor review, then you don't need to take up the big guns of foolproofing. Um, If it's one or two questions that maybe you got wrong, go to the question first. You don't even necessarily need to look. And don't get me wrong, I want you to obviously understand the game, but you don't need to necessarily redo the entire game if it's just one or two questions. Especially if it's been a, you know, even a day or two after doing that game, you wouldn't be surprised at how um, how easy it is to reorient yourself into the nature of that game. So I would say start with a question. See if there's something about the question, even in the logical force of the question. Is it a must-be-true question? Is it a could-be-true question? Those are very different. See if you misread something. So again, start with the question and work it through and see if you could figure it out just based on the question. Obviously, refer to the game, but you don't need to necessarily redo your entire setup. Now, if um, you're having much more difficulty than that, then yeah, you might want to go back and kind of redo the setup, make sure you read everything carefully. Um, But you at least want to try to see if you can figure it out by just doing the individual question or, you know, looking at that individual question. Another reason I, I, I encourage students to do this is a lot of times it's not a matter of, oh, I didn't understand the game so well. A lot of times it's just a matter of not fully reading the question uh, properly or missing something in the question or the answer choices. Um, so if you start with that first, again, that could allow you to focus on things and, and kind of get you in the habit of reading carefully. Uh, now, again, if it's not, then feel free to obviously go to um, redo the game, see if there was maybe something you missed in the game itself, if there were inferences you didn't make, or if you misread a rule. I would gather, though, that if you only got one or two questions wrong, then maybe you were pretty much fine on your setup, and it was just a minor thing within the question. So again, if it's just one or two questions, start with the questions individually, because the issue's probably in the question or the answer choices, and not so much in your setup. If you got more than two questions wrong, then there's a good chance that maybe you didn't understand the game itself. And of course, you can always go to the explanations um, there are a, a bunch of courses that give explanations. Obviously, I'm a fan of Seven Sage from uh, anyone who's followed my podcast. It's where I, um, where I got my foundation, sevensage.com. 
So again, um, if it's really something you have trouble with, consider foolproofing. And I did a recent podcast episode on foolproofing. Um, if not so much, then uh, if it's just a minor question or two, then start with the question and, and see if there's something specific about the question or the answer choices. Um, and one other part to uh, to Bato's question, was it simply a matter of going back and doing the game again slowly? Um, I would certainly review it slowly. One of the one of the benefits of reviewing something is you're not in real time. You could sit and you could think it through, slow things down, see if there's something you missed, see if there's something you misread. So certainly you can go back and piece through it together. Um, and it doesn't have to be this fast, fast-paced. Uh, the, okay, this fast pace. You can do. You can go back and look at it slowly. So I hope that answered your question. Um, next question. How do you do? How do you review reading comp? Would you go back and do the comprehension again? I, I think if I'm seeing this reading, uh, would you go back and do the comprehension again? I think what what Tabatso means is would you go back and do the passage again? Um, I'm just gonna guess that that's what what, what you mean. Um, I, so a couple of things. I think reading comp uh, people don't always give it the the, the um, give it its due in prep and certainly in review. Um, and that's a shame because it's now a third of the test with the with the um, with the flex. Um, and even when we kind of get to this modified version of the flex where we include a um, an experimental section, um, the there's the flex is still going to have a third of your score is it or slightly more really if you think about the sheer number of of uh, reading comp questions is going to be reading comp um so bottom line if i had just done a pt um i w let's just say we're going to blind review a pt again similar thing as i was saying for games if it's just one or two questions you want to check or one or two questions you got wrong I would start with the question and not necessarily go right to rereading the passage. Um, and I know that might seem a bit counterintuitive, but the reason's twofold. One, I do want to encourage you, a lot of the time the mistakes we make are based on the question, not reading the question properly, on not understanding the logical force of it, not understanding exactly what they're looking for, or in the answer choices. And so I'm not saying that we want to neglect the passage, but again, if it's just one or two questions you had an issue with, Go directly to the question, reread the question, um, look at the answer choices, and and see if that's where the issue was. I bet a good chunk of the time, that's where it can be. And so, that's your first line of defense. Now, if after doing that, you're still hazy on things, then yeah, it might be, I think at that point, it might be worth it to go back and reread the passage. It certainly would be worth it at that point to go back and reread the passage. But again, similar deal as with games. If it's just one or two questions, see if you could start with the question. If it's more than two questions, then there might have been something you're fundamentally missing in the passage, and in that case, it's worth rereading the passage. Um, next question. Did you experience moments of inconsistency with your scoring? If you did, how did you deal with it? Okay, this is interesting, because sometimes people ask about, I want to distinguish between a plateau and inconsistency. Um, People will experience plateaus, and that's natural. Sometimes it just takes time. Um, inconsistency, to me, is something different, though. Um, and I, I just wanted to address, at least I, the reason I brought up plateau is I want to distinguish between the two. 
Um, let me just, since I, since I brought up plateau, um, when you're in a plateau, I would say sometimes it just takes time. Um, you could be doing everything right, but I mean, there's a lot of working parts here. So, um, you know, give it time, be patient with yourself. Um, again, there are three different sections with so many working parts. So be patient. I will say if after being reasonably patient, if you're consistently getting the same score in the same sections, then see if there's something you could do differently. And in our last episode, I kind of talked about a growth mindset. One of the things that I should have mentioned was even as a teacher, I'm always trying to think of how can I make this better? What can I learn? I learn from my students. Um, and rightfully so. It's one of the reasons I enjoy teaching. Maybe there's something that'll come up in a lesson. I'll think, oh, this is something that I can add to the curriculum that, that might suit my future students well. Um, but I would say the same to you as a student. If you're in a plateau for whatever reason, um, and it's consistent, a consistent plateau uh, after a while, then yes, yeah, see what you can do differently. Um, look at your analytics. Now, let me get back to the initial question, which is what if I'm inconsistent, if you're inconsistent in your scoring, and I, just to, to push it a little bit here, I think you're definitely inconsistent if you're inconsistent, particularly with a section, right? Because scores can vary, but particularly with a section, right? If you're like, well, sometimes I'm negative seven with games. Sometimes I'm getting three wrong. Sometimes I'm getting zero wrong. Sometimes I'm getting 10 wrong. Um, or same thing. If I Sometimes I get 10 wrong with RC, but sometimes I get three wrong. Sometimes I get five wrong. It can really vary. If you're inconsistent, that often tells me as a teacher that maybe you don't have a consistent technique, you know, if it's a technique that's serving you. Because if you don't have a... Look, I, I happen to believe in technique. Um, I think um, most teachers do. Um, I, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think it's as intuitive as we'd like to think. Uh, don't get me wrong. Also, I don't think that um, the technique has to be onerous. I want them to be user-friendly and something you could turn into a habit. Again, hence the name of this podcast, LSAT Habits. But again, if someone's not... Um, performing consistently in a section, then that tells me usually that they don't have um, a clear technique. And so think about it. If you don't have a technique, I don't expect a, a technique is not a silver bullet, but it, it it's it it's a system that allows you to go in and do a problem a certain way that's reliable. Um, and ideally, um, it's a superior way of doing it. You want a technique that's going to serve you well. But if you don't have a technique, then you're kind of at the whim of the test, right? Like if it's if reading comp, if you get a certain passage type, whoa, I, I, I kind of know this this uh, area, you know, so I'm going to do well here. Oh, I don't like this subject. I'm not going to do as well. But if you've got a technique, I'm not going to say it's a silver bullet. But again, it gives you... Um, it gives you a way of navigating through harder passages or harder games um, that's consistent. So again, if you are not being consistent, it tells me you probably don't have a technique or at least not a technique that's serving you well. So again, if, if, just by example, um, if, you, if, if in certain games, get, get as specific as you can. Okay, in games am I not as consistent? Fine. Uh, what game in particular? If it's in and out games, well then gee, maybe, maybe I need to work on my in and out technique. Maybe I don't have a technique and that's the problem. Maybe I have a technique but it's not serving me as well. So I would encourage you to go deep and if you're using a resource 
think about it. Do I really know the technique? It might be a great technique, but maybe maybe you're kind of hazy on it and you need to get crisper. So I really would encourage you to think about what technique you're using, if you are, if it's serving you well. If maybe it's a great technique, but you just really need to make sure you know it. That's usually what I think of when, when I see inconsistency. Um, let's see, next question. Would you recommend reviewing a practice test strictly in the same day or at least the next day within 24 hours? So um, I would encourage you to check out my podcast on um, blind, my episode on blind review. Because um, really, blind review is one of the, is the superior, in my opinion, it's just such an awesome resource for um, getting the most out of your PT and properly reviewing them. But one of the points I mention in there is that I have a different opinion than some people. I don't recommend blind reviewing it the same day, reviewing a PT the same day. The reason I, I say this is because these tests are exhausting. I mean, they're, they're, they're feats of endurance, really. It's almost, I always make the analogy of it's kind of like running a marathon. You're going to be mentally exhausted after that. Uh, so I found for me as a student that the sweet spot was the day after. Because the day after, I had distance, I was relaxed, um, I wasn't as mentally fatigued, I had fresh eyes. And it was perfect in a way because I still was familiar with uh, the PT from the day before. But at the same time, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't mentally fatigued. And I had fresh eyes and I had this bit of diff distance. Um, I, I think a lot of people worry because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of teachers out there who I respect who will say, oh, review at the same day or blind review at the same day or as soon as possible. I think they mean well. Um, and I think that to a certain extent they're right, I would, or at least I would agree with them, in that, you know, if you wait a week, then you're going to lose some of the um, familiarity that would be helpful to you in reviewing a test. But doing it the same day, again, it's a very intense test. We only have so much mental energy through a day, and this is probably one of the most intense um, mental drains you could have. So again, that's why I think the sweet spot is a day after. Um, any advice for timing on logic games? Great question. Um, again, just to, to save you some time, go to, uh, go to my episode recently on um, how to foolproof logic games properly that is probably the best thing you can do for timing. So check out that episode. Um, it's uh, one of the other reasons I really want to recommend that episode is there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation on how to properly foolproof. I don't pretend that there's one perfect way, but I think they're optimal best practices for how to foolproof. Again, I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, it was developed by JY from Seven Sage. It's an amazing tool. Uh, again, check out uh, a few episodes ago on foolproofing that I put together uh, on my podcast. Um, it lays it out. It's one of the best things you could do to, to help yourself with timing. Um, last question. I am still studying full-time and working. I remember you were working too while studying for the LSAT. Do you have any advice for managing the schedule? Yeah, I was working. Um, and it's funny because my schedule changed a bit. At one point I was working full-time, then part-time, then at one point I was um, not working for a little bit. And so I kind of experienced all of it. The interesting thing to me is uh, 
if you're even if in some ways it might be a benefit if you're working don't get me wrong i don't i don't think it's great if you're working 70 hours it's not ideal although some people might be doing that um but i often find that sometimes someone studying for the lsat tends to be very driven which is a great thing but they almost put too much work into it and so um they'll they'll just kind of that overkill is not helpful um, for a couple of reasons. One, it requires intense focus. I always say I'd rather a student focus, you know, for four hours, maybe six hours max studying for the LSAT than try to do it for eight hours. Because it's not like something you could do in a typical job, um, you know, eight hours a day. It, it, it's, it's very, very deep, deep work that requires intense thinking. So, Again, to me, I'm a big, a big believer in less is more. And here's where a job is interesting. In some ways, a job is a nice buffer because it forces you um, to uh, not try to study all the time and to just kind of use your time. Now, that being said, there are trade-offs. I mean, if you're working eight hours a day, you're probably sapped right, right after work. Um, if you want to get up early to study, well, I don't want it to cut into your sleep. You, again, I would encourage... Anyone out there listening to check out one of my earlier episodes on sleep, it's super important. You don't want to cut into the bone on that. But in some ways, working can force you to sort of like limit your study hours, which can be a good thing. In some ways, you know, if I had, if I could wave a magic wand, I'd say, oh, work part time. Because, right, if you're working a part time job, then, you know, if you're doing that for four hours a day, then you could take the other four hours and study. Um, or, you know, if there are certain days you're working, cool, and then those other days you could study. But it kind of forces you to limit yourself. Here's the bottom line. Do the best you can with what you have. But no matter what, don't overdo it with time into this. Because inevitably what happens is it might seem like it's not a big deal if you want to study for eight hours. But usually after hour four, our work suffers. The quality just suffers. And we stop paying attention and um, giving it the quality it's due. Um, and it almost becomes, I, I think it becomes counterproductive. I'd rather you do four, stop, and then, you know, the next day come at it fresh rather than do four, but then you go into eight and then you're exhausted and then you're not feeling so hot about it the next day. There's no perfect way to do this, but use what you have. If you're working full time, try to carve out those other times. Even if it just means, hey, I'm going to study during my lunch break or I'm going to study an hour before I go to work. I'd rather you get an hour of good studying in and 10 studying than six hours of shallow studying. While we're on this topic, I got to plug a great book I've recently read. It's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Um, many of you out there listening might be familiar with it. Awesome book. I'm probably going to do a, uh, maybe I'll do a blog post or a, a podcast episode on it. But in this book, Cal Newport, who's... Um, teaches computer science at Georgetown, um, you know, in some ways, programming or computer science can be kind of like LSAT study. It's very intense thinking. And um, the point he makes is he'd rather you put in less time and do it well than spend all this time, oh, I'm going to do eight hours, and then you end up surfing the web and you burn your brain out. Structure it. Less time. Do it well. Check out the book, Deep Work. It's really awesome. Deep Work by Cal Newport. I'll put it in the show notes and I'll probably do um, 
an episode uh, dedicated to that at some point because I do love that book, but please do check it out. Um, thank you so much for your question. And if anyone else has questions out there, you can reach me at jdlsat.com. That's jdlsat.com. Thank you so much for listening to the LSAT Habits Podcast. See you next time.